the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, April 23rd. After a day of action like we just saw on Thursday on the ATP and WTA tours, all we can ask as tennis fans is please may we have another. That's how good the tennis was over these past 24 hours across the professional tennis world. On today's podcast, want to focus on the four ATP and WTA level events once again. The reason I'm doing that is because if you want to hear about Challenger Tennis, you can go check out Thursday's episode of the Great Shot Podcast, David Gert joined me to break down the action in Orlando last week in Tallahassee this week. Of course, we are going to have brand new Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Cuss on tomorrow's mini break, a bonus Saturday edition of the podcast to talk about not only the action happening at the ATP and WTA level, but of course, championship weekend on the Challenger Tour as well. But on today's podcast, I want to focus on the action in Stuttgart. Istanbul, Barcelona, and of course Belgrade, Serbia once again because the tennis was that good in Stuttgart. I mean, the top women's players in the world seem to be delivering week in, week out, and we do seem to have a group of a few names that seem to emerge at each of these tournaments, right? It's not a shock to any tennis fan that's been watching over the past, what, 6 to 12 months to hear Arena Sabalenka's made another quarterfinal, Alina Svitolina's made the quarterfinals. That's the case in Stuttgart, and of course, they're going to be joined by players like Halep, Pliskova. Uh, Of course, you can keep going down the list. How many exceptional players are still alive, Bardi, Kvitova, so want to talk about all of that action, of course, in Barcelona, the 500-level event happening on the men's side. Rafa continues to get tested on the red clay. I want to talk about the test he faced today in Kei Nishikori. I want to talk about some of the guys who continue to cruise. Stefano Tsitsipas, Yannick Sinner look excellent this week. Of course, in Belgrade, I believe three of our four round of 16 matches ended up going three sets, so talk about that action on today's podcast podcast as well. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, from our friends at Midwest Sports as well. If you need to update any of your equipment, remember, you can find all of the best gear at all of the best prices by going to MidwestSports.com. You use that promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. One more thing for you listeners, and I've said it every day here on this Mini Break podcast uh, this week, and I'm going to be saying it until the event occurs. We are so excited here at Cracked Rackets to be hosting a Level 1 Junior National Championship event. Obviously, that draw is for the 18 and under crowd. That deadline has already passed as well. It's going to be a packed field. And of course, given what all of us as tennis fans, given in particular what young junior players have gone through throughout this pandemic, we are just so happy to be providing an opportunity for these top juniors to compete. If you would like to help support the event, you'd like to learn more, maybe you just want to come watch some extraordinary tennis, you can find out all the details by checking out our website, crackrackets.com. And again, we're so excited, and we just can't hide it.
That felt like a lot better idea than I ended up executing it. But West Duff, hopefully you threw some sort of excited sound effect in the mix as I was singing there. That's the vibe we are feeling right now at Cracked Rackets. A lot of cool things happening here as we round out the college tennis season, as we approach the heart of this clay court season. Fun things happening across juniors, college, and professional levels of tennis. We're happy to cover it all here at Cracked Rackets to help keep you listeners in the loop and up to date on all things occurring. Those two words mean the same thing. So with that in mind, I've probably talked my way out of this intro. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Let's talk about, excuse me, throat is cleared. Some of the action that we saw unfold on Thursday, because again, I'm not just talking it up. You look at the scoreboards. If you actually watch the tennis, and I know how difficult it is to follow four events in one week, in particular when it's not your job, right? If you're listening to this podcast, it's like, to or from work. Maybe you're getting a workout in after work. If you're getting your power walks in, I know some of you do like to power walk while listening to the podcast. Keep pedaling through. Happy to be that motivational voice. You can do this. And if I'm not motivational enough, go watch the level of play right now on the WTA Tour. It's not hyperbole to say the tennis match-in, match-out is as good as we've seen over the past decade in the women's sport. You look at today's result, results in uh, Stuttgart, even though four of our five matches were straight sets, all of them featured some exceptional tennis. Let's start with the straight set victory for number four seed Alina Svitolina. 7-6-6-3 win over Angelique Kerber. Now, Kerber hasn't played that great of tennis over the past, what, 12, 15 months, right? You look for Angelique Kerber, who, of course, former Grand Slam champion, currently number 26 in the world. Over her last 52 weeks, she's 8-9, and nine, but she's definitely started to play some better tennis of late. You look at her results uh, really here in 2021. She lost to Sakari in the warm-up event in Australia. We can all understand that sort of loss given how well Sakari's played. She beat Jabor. She beat Sinyakova. Those are two good wins. She lost her first round match at the Australian Open to Bernarda Pera. That was definitely a surprise to all of us. But since then, you know, she's been the player she's supposed to beat, Buyakatsai, Zarazua, and Gorgadzi. She's played Svitolina close, Azarenka close, Garcia she lost to in three sets. Conteve was a fun match in Doha. She's starting to regain her form, and today in Stuttgart, she played a really high-level match against Alina Svitolina. She made 64% of her first serves, won 64% of those points, only 44% of her second serve points, but saved five of the eight break points she faced. She also won 52% of her second serve return points. The biggest difference in this match, and it's been a big thing for Alina Svitolina over these past few years, she qualifies in the Maria Sakari category of players who have improved their first serves over these past few seasons, have turned their first serves into a placeholder to a weapon. And of course, for Alina Svitolina, that's the biggest question for her. What separates her? You know, because obviously you look for Svitolina, really, I guess we can say since, and I I know I've made this uh, point before, so I apologize if any of you listeners find me repeating myself here, but for uh, uh, myself here, but for Alina Svitolina, she's essentially won, excuse me, 65% or higher of her tour level matches since the 2016 season. And of course, over that stretch, she's won multiple WTA level titles. She's won them at 
at the premier level. She's won them across the board, everywhere but the Grand Slams. Of course, she's made a couple of semifinals in Grand Slams in the Shenzhen Finals in 2019. She made, and you know, the Shenzhen Finals, the year-end finals on the women's side, in case uh, you don't know what city that year-end finals occurs in for the women's. They're called the Shenzhen Finals. Uh, She made the final that year before losing to Ashley Barty. And I mean, look, for Alina Svitolina, quietly, she has been a rock since the tour resumed in August, 26-9 and over her last 52 weeks. She's played 11 total events. She's now made the quarterfinals or better in eight of those 11 events. Now, she's 2-5 in her previous seven quarterfinals this week in Stuttgart by winning. She reaches her, her eighth, but I mean... That's continued success for Alina Svitolina, 26-9. and That is winning 74% of her matches. You look at the players she's lost to since the tour resumed in August. You know, I don't think any of us are going to bat an eye at losses to Ashley Barty in that Miami semifinal, but came after she got wins over Alexandrova and Kvitova, who, by the way, are still alive at this event in Stuttgart. You know, in uh, the Australian Open, she made the round of 16, lost three sets to Pagula. Pagula's been exceptional of late what was it for her quarterfinals I believe back to back maybe it was even semifinals in Doha and Dubai her other losses to Mertens Kudermatova Sakari they're all in the same category of top 15 to 20 players since the uh, tour resumed she lost to Podoroska quarterfinals French Open everyone was losing to Podoroska at the French Open the only loss you might you know not love on the resume is a loss she took to Svetlana Kuznetsova in the uh, in Dubai first round, but that was a three-set loss, and again, a three-set loss just kind of is what it is. She also lost to Vandrusova Rome quarterfinals, but we all know how well Vandrusova can play on the clay. My point being, Alina Svitolina continues to remain as tough of an out as you'll find. She is the gateway. You know, we talk about these gateway players who are the litmus tests. You know, yesterday was Mimir Kesmanovic, the ultimate litmus test into the ATP top 50. Alina Svitolina is your ultimate litmus test into the WTA top 10. You have to put in a top 10 performance to beat her right now. She is clearly in the prime of her career, 26 years old. Again, uh, she has now won about 75% of her matches since the tour resumed. You look at her numbers here this season. She's winning 67.3% of her first serve points. That would be a career high. You look at her numbers since 2016. She's gone from a 64.6% win percentage now to 66 point eight sixty seven sixty six point eight sixty five now sixty seven point three here in the early stages of twenty twenty one her second serve percentage has gone from about forty five to forty eight percent as well she's winning about two percent more of her serve points in general meanwhile she hasn't sacrificed anything as a returner and today uh, against obviously Svitolina, she put so many returns in the court, and you know she just she made every point physical. And the biggest difference in this match was that Svitolina had the biggest weapon on the court in her serve. She went seventy one percent of her first serve points, thirty four of forty nine on the day. Only faced three break points, now was broken on two of those three break point chances, but was so comfortable holding serve. Uh, both players were, and you know Kerber today was moving her forehand so well around the court. I just thought Svitolina did a better job 
uh, getting her, you know, her forehand. She won more forehand to the Kerber backhand exchanges than Kerber did her lefty forehand to the Svitolina righty backhand exchanges. I know that's a very granular thing. Again, I highly recommend you go watch this match because it was physical tennis. Kerber did a great job moving the ball around the court. Svitolina did a great job hitting high and heavy topspin into that Kerber backhand, not letting her take that ball early flat down the line. This was just fun tennis. And again, Kerber made a couple of first ball errors in that first set tiebreaker that gifted Svitolina the breaker. And that's what she needed because from there, you look in the second set for Svitolina made 81% of her first serves was 20 of 26 on service points in the set, did not face a break point. Her level continued to rise as this match went on. And it's not that Kerber's dropped off. It's just she had hit her ceiling in that first set with such a tight first set that she wasn't able to get it was the difference. But this was an incredible performance for Alina Svitolina. And again, eighth quarterfinal in her last 11 events. She's 2-5 in those quarterfinals. Does have a title run, but 2-5 is not good enough. That is not Grand Slam champion. That's a top 10 player. There's no denying that. But we all know Svitolina is a top 10 player. Can she become a Grand Slam champion? That's the only question she has left to answer in her career because she's done everything else. And again, even if she doesn't win a Grand Slam, one of the defining players of the women's game over the past five seasons certainly still has, excuse me, a lot of fantastic tennis still ahead of her as well. But, you know... Tomorrow, she's going to have a match against Petra Kvitova. Kvitova, 7-3 overall against Svitolina, and you can understand why. As physical as Svitolina will make the match, if Kvitova is locked in playing her best tennis, she's got the biggest weapons on the court. And, you know, Svitolina doesn't have an easy way to hurt Petra Kvitova because of her length, because of her ability to beat you to the spot. When Svitolina tries to play high and heavy, that works against Kerber. It doesn't work against a six-foot Petra Kvitova. And so, you know, all 10 of those 7-3 decided, uh, all 10 of the matches, and again, 7-3 overall for Kvitova, have been on hard courts. But only two of them have gone three sets. And now, you know, Svitolina's won the last two. And they've only played once since 2018. Uh, and Svitolina just beat her in Miami. So she'll certainly have that confidence as well. But you'd love to see Alina Svitolina win that match. It should be a really high level of play as they're both playing some really good tennis. And again, I have to say, give me more indoor clay court tennis, in particular in the women's game. It's a fast, slow court. And I know that sounds really stupid and oxymoronical, but it's still a slow court that's playing fast. It's not compromising, you know, the if you have poor foot speed, these courts are playing so fast that you're exposed right away. They're not so slow that it's impossible to hit a ball through them. They're the proper speed, and it's leading to exceptional tennis, which gets us again to our next match. Svitolina was a 6-3 and three winner, just to recap, over Kerber. But now I want to talk about the player who, you know, there were a lot of outstanding performances, and she wasn't the best player on the day. That title belo- in, in it, Stuttgart, that title belongs to Simona Halep, who we'll get to momentarily. But the most notable performance, once again, belongs to ECAT, Ekaterina Alexandrova, 6175 over Belinda Bencic. She hit the cover off of the ball in this match, and here's the number for you 28 of 32 on first serve points. Let me say that again. 28 of 32. She lost four points on her first serve against one of the more aggressive returners in the women's game in Belinda Bencic. And what was so impressive about Alexandrova is how she mixed up her spots. 
flat slap down the tee on the deuce side, followed by the flat slap down the tee on the ad side, followed by the out wide serve on the deuce, followed by the flat out wide on the ad. If she had open space, she'd take that ball early. Belinda Bencic, as the match went on, made a concerned effort to serve into the body of Alexandrova because if you gave her any angle, any momentum in the shot, it was lights out. She was hitting the ball that well from the baseline and you know, I talked about her a lot earlier in the week, so I'm trying my best moving forward. I talked about this well. In repeating a point about how I'm trying to not repeat points, I have repeated my point about not trying to repeat points. Anyways, for ECAT, you look for her in this match, only made 58% of her first serves, and yes, I'm going with ECAT. I, if you don't like it, tweet at me, at GreatShotPod, as always, but come on. What are we going to call her, a Katarina? What am I going to call her, Alexandrova? I'm Alexander. She's part of the Alex squad. I love that, but we got to distinguish amongst the Alex squad. That's why most people call me Gruskin. Uh, that's why, moving forward, i got to call her ECAT. And just ECAT... She only faced two break points in this match. Now, Benchich did was down a set and a break and managed to get that break back, and it looked like had momentum on her side, uh, five all in that second set. But then Alexandrova, who blinked, I think it was the 4-3 service game, literally blinked. The first serve deserted her for the game, and she just, you know, Benchich was able to be aggressive on the return play first strike tennis. By the way, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again, Alexandrova, sneaky good mover. She did really well uh, withstanding a lot of first strikes from Belinda Bencic, who was struggling with her rhythm, there's no doubt about that early in the match, but Bencic made 66% of her first serves, it didn't matter. Alexandrova was getting clean strikes on the returns, and sometimes they were down the line winners, but a lot of the time, they were just deep down the center. And then Benchich, there's nothing you can do with that ball. It was at her feet on these clay courts. Half the time it skid. The other half, again, she's hitting a neutral ball at best back to Alexandrova, and Alexandrova's capitalizing. And again, she can attack down the line. She can attack short angles. Uh, she can just beat you with pace cross court. She was uh, fantastic today. And anytime you put forward a sort of performance where you're winning 88% of your first serve points, uh, you deserve to win the match. And certainly for ECAT, 6175, you look for her now. Uh, she's 20 and 16 in her last 52. But. The hundred, she's you know 110 and 93, a 54% win percentage for her career in tour level matches since 2019. 70 and 45 in her tour level matches. She's winning 61% of them. That's a top 30 player, folks. You're winning you know 52% of your tour level matches. You're probably top 60, top 50. You're winning 55%. You're in that top 40, maybe seated range. If you're winning over 60% of your matches, you're in the top 30. Depending on where you're winning your matches, you may even be a top 20 player. And then, of course, as you rise, you're going to get higher up the rankings. Uh, but ECAT's been that good. Breakthrough player since the start of the 2019 season. You look in her... I believe, 47 events because she's won two WTA tour-level titles. Uh, I mentioned that 70-45 and 45 record overall. She's 23-28 and 28 against top 50 players. That shows you belong when you're playing your peers about, you know, 500 against top 20 players. 7-12 and 12 since 2019. That includes wins over Simona Halep in Beijing, over uh, Pe- uh, Petra Kvitova withdraw, I suppose, over Iga Svantec and Halep earlier this year in the Australian Warm. She's also gotten a couple of wins over Elena Rabakina, a couple of wins over Bencic. 
you know, she has been that good. Like, 7-12 and 12 against top 20 players, you belong in the mix. And, you know, her game is a little bit flat, and when you can get pace into her body, she does start to struggle. But she gets better and better as a mover, 26 years old, doesn't turn 27 till November, clearly in the prime of her career. That prime... You know, it's it's Kudermatova-ish, it's Mertens-ish, it's Conteve-ish, except I, I don't quite like, you know, it's just not quite as well-run, it's just a little bit flatter, that's the difference, but, I mean, you watch her performance on the clay, and, you know, that's the shocking thing, right, is you wouldn't, you watch her game, and you wouldn't think Ekaterina Alexandrova, clay court specialist, but, you know, overall, again, I mentioned it's 70 and 40, uh, 70 and 45 since 2019. On hard courts, she's 56 and 29. On clay courts, 9 and 12, but winner of five of her last six since last season. Uh, you know, again, she had, you know, she lost her first five matches. So since losing her first five in 2019, uh, she's 9 and 7 since that point. Her game just works. Uh, and she is going to be a staple of the top 40 in the women's game for quite a bit of time. When she plays like she does today, that ceiling gets higher and higher. She was just better than Belinda Bencic. She out-Bencic'd Bencic at her own game, was playing aggressive first strike off of both her return and then whenever, you know, when she's landing her first serve, winning 88% of those points speaks to how effective she was with her first strike from there. Also, a sneaky performance for her. 12 aces on the day. Way to go, ECAT. She advances 6-1-7-5 over Bencic. The last match, I want to just talk about briefly, just to put in context a reminder for everyone, because yeah, Iga Sviantek was spectacular. Oh, I actually have two more to go. I forgot that Pliskova went three sets against Yelena Ostapenko. That was phenomenal tennis. But I just want to remind everyone, Simona Halep today, who beat 2019 French Open finalist Marquette Vandrusova 6-1-6-3 and made it look like Vandrusova was playing junior tennis and Halep was like, no, 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 no. This is how the grown-ups, this is how the professionals play. You can take your drop shots and they're just not going to work today. A reminder about Simona Halep, who, you know, 29 years old, turns 30 at the end of September, 14-1 and on clay courts in her last 52. Her only loss was that round of 16 loss to Iga Sviantek, who just played the perfect match against Halep. As great as Sviantek was from start to finish in that French Open, her 1-2 and win over Halep, considering Halep had beaten Anisimova 0-1 the round before, had beaten Cerebez Tormo 4-0 the round before, had won Prague and Rome in the build-up to that French Open you know, that was Sviantek's, you know, crown jewel in that French Open title run. Uh, but all of that is to say, other than that, Simona Halep hasn't lost a clay court match. And she's 31-5 overall since the start of the 2019 season. You want to level that out for clay courts in particular. She is now 14-1, and as I mentioned, since the start of 2020. Um, yeah, I mean, she's the number one rated player, I believe, via Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings on clay courts. In terms of total ELO right now, uh, Simona Halep in the women's game, she is number three behind Osaka and Barty, but she is the favorite entering the French Open. I know Sviantek just won it. I know Ashley Barty is coming off of a 2019 Australian Open French, uh, Australian Open, excuse me, a 2019 French Open title and is the number one player in the world. But let's just remember, folks, how good Simona Halep is on clay courts. Just go watch 
the highlights of this Halle von Drusseva match for Simona in this match. She was 19 of 26, 73% win percentage on first serve points. That's good. 13 of 14 on second serve points. So overall, She's 32 of 40. She won 80% of her service points for the match. She also won 50% of her return points. Just Von Drusseva didn't have a big enough weapon to hurt her. And Von Drusseva, of course, big weapon isn't her calling card. She is someone who's death by a thousand paper cuts, who is going to move you around the court, who does probably have one of the three best drop shots in all of tennis, men's or women's game, and just, you know, that big loopy forehand. She's going to work you off the court, out or third, out or third, out of third before I either going down the line or hitting the drop shot. She goes short angles so well, and she can also take the ball early down the line, but she didn't have the big serve to hurt Simona Halep with, and you know she only made 55% of her first serves, was 17 of 24 on those first serve points. First strike tennis remains effective in Stuttgart, but Halep just took everything away from her. Halep beat her to the spot every time, even when there was open space for Van Drusseva to attack. Halep turned defense into offense, as she always does. She remains such a pleasure to watch, and I know I'm big on the Sabalenka bandwagon of late, and they're such complete contrast in style because you know exactly what you're going to get from Simona Halep every time she steps on the court. You never know what you're going to get from Marina Sabalenka, and yet the steadiness of Halep the respect I continue to have for her game. She is sensational. She's the favorite entering the French Open. I know there's going to be a lot of players who look really good, but she's going to be my pick unless, you know, Muguruza or Barty just rips off a win streak here and doesn't lose in the warm-up. Like, short of those two really playing some outstanding tennis in the lead-up to the French Open, I just don't know how anyone's going to beat Simona Halep unless you just have a day like Iga Sviantek did. And I suppose that's always been the thing is Halep doesn't have the biggest weapons. Are we about to do a Simona Halep career breakdown? No, we're not. The point being... She was outstanding today. She was the best player competing on the court in Stuttgart today, and I cannot wait to watch her play in in form Alexandrova because Alexandrova does have some weapons to hurt Halep with, but it just looked like it was impossible to hurt Simona Halep when she's moving the ball and moving just around the court as well as she did today. Again, super impressive 6-1-6-3 victory for her over Marketa Van Druseva. Last breakdown, what am I talking? I'm breaking down four of the five matches. It's funny, I just said I'm on the Sabalenka bandwagon. I'm not going to break down her 6 4 6 2 win uh, over Anna Fritzum today, but Sabalenka did her thing. I do want to quickly talk about Karolina Pliskova's 6 7 6 4 6 3 win over Yelena Ostapenko. If Pliskova is going to serve this well throughout the clay court season, She's going to find herself in the second week of the of the French Open. She's going to find herself, re, you know, just cut, you know, stemming the bleeding and hedging, you know, just again finding her rhythm once again on tour. She hit twenty one aces against Yelena Ostapenko, and I know Ostapenko. You look on tennis abstracts leaderboard in terms of break percentage. Ostapenko, where does she rank? Is she even a top fifty player? I don't think she's a top fifty player right now. So I suppose she would not qualify for tennis abstracts leaderboard. Of course, I can look up her break percentage of late. Yelena Ostapenko currently ranked number fifty two in the world. Her break percentage here in twenty twenty one. Uh, currently sitting, let's see, at 40.4% on Tennis Abstracts leaderboard, 40.4%. Actually, that would be pretty good. She would be in the top 15. So again, that is to say, 
you know, she is an aggressive returner. Uh, but she is a very, very good returner, a top doubles player in the world as well. You can't be a top doubles player if you don't pride yourself on your returns. It didn't matter uh, because Pliskova hit 21 aces on the day. She made 66% of her first serves won, six, uh, 70% of her first serve points, 54% of her second serve points, only faced five break points in this three-set match, saved three of the five, converted four of her 13 break chances. That was good enough. And that first set was first strike power tennis at its finest. And I actually thought Pliskova moved as well as I've seen her move in 2021 in this match. She looked comfortable on the clay, sliding around the court. She looked, you know, her ability to hit on the move today to get the ball back into, you know, if not the outer thirds of the court, just deep enough in the court where Ostapenko couldn't hit an immediate winner. Of course, there were a lot of times where Ostapenko was just plus one tennis for her, taking a big cut at the return. And for Ostapenko, you know, she won 63% of her first serve points, was pretty good, you know, 49% of her second serve points as well. But, I mean, Pliskova's length helped her immensely in this match. And then her ability to play first strike, her ability to hit behind Ostapenko, her ability, again, to go for that big on-the-run, down-the-line shot, take some huevos to go for that ball, particularly when... Carolina Pliskova, 15-11 and 11 over her last 52 weeks. But this was as fine of a performance from Pliskova as I've seen uh, outside of maybe Rome last year uh, since the tour resumed. And I mean, for her now, she's going to have the ultimate test that she's going to take on Ashley Barty. But you look for her this week, she's won 70% of her first serve points in both of her matches. You look for her return stats here this week. She's been aggressive on second serves, you know, uh, nine breaks of serves in total. It's been two three-set matches for her. But this was not like a... Typical Pliskova, I say typical, there are a lot of three-set matches where Carolina Pliskova is not playing her best tennis, or there's a streak where she just, for four games, just can't find the court. That wasn't the case in this match. Elena Ostapenko was connecting with the ball beautifully, went up an early break in the first set, I believe, and again, had chances in this match, uh, or was holding serve and keeping pace with Pliskova in this match, but Pliskova was just a rock on serve and looked to play aggressive, making the most of these indoor clay court conditions. You look for Pliskova, who, of course, is a former Stuttgart champion back in 20, uh, I believe, 18. She's 10-3 and three in her career in Stuttgart. Her losses are to Redwanska, Azarenka in three sets, and Sigmund in the, back in 2017 in three sets. But look, the number nine player in the world via Tennis Abstract's ELO rating system, excuse me, on uh, on uh, on clay courts is actually higher than you would think. Pliskova via Tennis uh, e- ELO on clay, number five, and I guess that does make sense when you look at her car- career. Excuse me. Some of the titles she's won, right? She is a Ro- former Rome champion. She was the Rome finalist last year. She did win that Stuttgart title back in 2018. You look for Pliskova in her career. She is, I believe, in tour-level matches, 358 and 191 for her career. So a 65% win percentage now. She's won 66% of her matches on hard courts, 244 and 127. But 
She is 69 and 43, a 62% win percentage on clay courts. We talked about this yesterday with Conteve. Pliskova's numbers stay relatively static. Her first serve becomes 1% less effective. Her second serve, 0.6% less effective. Her return numbers are 0.4% lower. When you're within 1% for the difference in your game across surfaces, it means it probably works on both, and certainly it was working today. And by the way, I'm telling you, it's an eye test thing. You look at Yelena Ostapenko's numbers over the last 52 weeks. She's 14 and 11. That's not outstanding, but eye test superstar. I legitimately thought she was going to win Roland Garros after she beat Pliskova 4-2 and two in the second round there last year. And, you know, you saw her in the Australian Open. She lost first round to Mukova, but that was a really fun match in Dubai. You know, uh, had to come, or, you know, I believe she knocked off Teague and she knocked off Burton's the week before, before losing to Krejcikova, who was the finalist that week, and Pagula the week before in Doha. I thought she was playing pretty well in Miami as well, despite the loss to Ashley Barty. I just, I like the power tennis when she's locked in. It's very, very appealing. This was a fun match for both of these players, but Pliskova ultimately too good on serve. The big number, 21 aces for her. She advances to the quarterfinals, and again, Stuttgart was my favorite of the four events on Thursday. It's also a delight for me to be able to be on press row for that event. Be on the lookout uh, Friday for a From the Presser podcast uh, with the players who end up playing in these quarterfinal matches. Unfortunately, just wasn't able to hop in those pressers on Thursday. Going to guarantee that to you listeners that I'm going to be doing that on Friday because uh, you look at these matchups we have here in the Stuttgart quarterfinals. Barty versus Pliskova. Barty's 4-2 and two overall. She's won the last two meetings. These two have never played on clay, though, and they've played five tiebreaker sets in their 15 they've played in their career. So, again, five seven sixes in their 15 career sets. They've gone three in three of their six career matches. Makes sense. Pliskova has the big serve to attack the Barty backhand return, and she's going to play big to that backhand wing, and the last thing you want to give Carolina Pliskova is time, and, you know, as much as the Barty backhand slice, the variety she can play with can befuddle opponents it does afford them an extra half second and that's not something you want to give Carolina Pliskova so that's a fun contrast of styles I already mentioned Svitolina Kvitova Kvitova seven and three overall but they've never played on clay before Svitolina's won their last two matchups fantastic contrast there Kvitova also getting a much needed day off after a physical three set match against Sakari so she's going to come in relatively fresh too you love that for the quality of play for us fans. Alexandrova Halep. I mentioned Alexandrova 2-1 and one overall, but all three matches on hard courts. Uh, funny because Alexandrova, who beat her earlier this year in the Australian Open warm-up, uh, has two blowout wins over Halep, and Halep was a close three-setter, but you know now we're on clay. And again, I think these were your two top performers here on Thursday. Excited to see them compete on Friday. And despite all of those matches, you know the one I'm going to be watching most closely is the match happening between Arena Sabalenka and Annette Conteve, two of our favorites here at Cracked Rackets. Sabalenka, 3-0 overall, but all of the matches have come on hard court. She beat Conteve uh, in Dubai, 6-3, 6-2, but 
Very excited for that matchup. Again, if Sabalink is going to be a Grand Slam champion, that's a match she needs to win. If Conteve is going to make that breakthrough, become a top 10 player, she's got to beat a Sabalenka who may have the bigger weapons, but if Conteve's discipline can move the ball around, uh, obviously, again, that promises to be a very fun match. But that's your action in Stuttgart, and I apologize. I know that's 30 minutes on one event. That's how good the tennis was. And, uh, you know, again, I, when you have, you look at the names we mentioned, I believe all of those players except for Ekaterina Alexandrova and Annette Conteve inside the top 12 right now of the WTA rankings, worthy of a 30-minute monologue. But I do want to talk about the matches in Istanbul as well before we start talking about the ATP side only one three-set match on the day. It was your top seed, Elisa Mertens, who advances 6-4-4-6-6-1 uh, over, uh, I believe, uh, Victoria Golubic. And, you know, for Mertens, she just she struggled to find her rhythm here early in the match. Ultimately was able to do so. You look at the statistics from this one for Mertens in the first set. Made 59% of her first serves one. 77% of those first serve points, but was 3 of 12 on second serve points. It's funny because in the second set, uh, Merton started to serve much better, but so did Golubic. And you look in that second set, Golubic didn't face a break point. Merton's only faced one. It was the only break of the set. And then in set number three, Merton's just locked in. She was 13 of 16 on her service points. She was, I believe, uh, let's see, I'm doing some quick math, 15 of 26 on her return points. Golubic just kind of couldn't maintain her level for that third set. Mertens found her rhythm, started moving the ball around the court, started taking her return of serve a little bit earlier as well. Top seed advances now to the quarterfinals where she's going to take on uh, Sinyakova. That promises to be a fun one. And then, you know, again, she was the top seed, the only three-set match we had on the day. But still, a couple of fun results worth noting. Fiona Farrow, number 12 by Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, definitely hit the over in terms of ELO rating drop. Oh, no, I definitely said ELO rating for Simona Halep earlier. I just didn't notice myself saying it. Anyways, Fiona Farrow, number 12 on Tennis Abstract. Clay Court ELO ratings, which again measures who you play, not when or where. Uh, it makes sense that Farrow is ranked that highly via Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, given, uh, you know, really since the beginning of last season, all she's done is win Clay Court matches. You look for Farrow, who today was a 6 3 6 3 winner over Vera Zivanareva. Farrow, uh, over, let's see, her last 52 weeks of play, she is 15 and 6 overall, 10 and 1. On clay court, she won the title in Palermo, wins over Podoroska, Alexandrova, and Conteve. She also made the round of 16 at the French Open, beat Rabakina, beat Teague, who had won a title on clay in the warm-up to last year's French Open before she lost a three-set match to Sonia Kennan. I mean, you look for her, her here now. She beats Martic and Zvonareva to start the week. She probably should beat Kirstea uh, tomorrow to advance to the semifinals. You look in her career— in WTA level uh, matches on clay, she's what thirty-seven and twenty-two now. That's a sixty-three percent win percentage. That's gonna keep you in the top fifty of the rankings. Maybe even get you 
inside that top 30, considering you look for her in her career, you know, 63% win percentage on clay courts. She's uh, 26 and 33 on hard courts, but that comes after she lost. I think it's like there's a there's like a six match losing streak in there early in 2018 or early in the 2019 season. She's only 23 years old or just turned 24, so still has her best tennis in front of her as well. And with this result now, this quarterfinal, Pharaoh, I believe now back inside the top 50, going to be number 49 next week. That's where she belongs. Just moves the ball so well around the court as a sneaky good athlete. I don't even think it's sneaky. I've mentioned this before. She's in a Davidovich, Tommy Paul category as a player where they're just, they've got pop and they may not have the overwhelming size of some of their contemporaries, but they don't lack in athleticism. That's Fiona Farrow in a nutshell. Three and three win over Zivana Reva. You also had Veronica Kudermatova. Very impressive four and three win over a much informed Kaya Kanepi. And then your one upset on the day, Anna Bogdan. Six three, six three win over Barbara Krechakova, who we're still trying to see. What can she do on the clay courts in singles? Uh, I thought Bogdan just outplayed her today. Today's victory had more to do with the performance of Bogdan than anything Krechakova did wrong. But again, just something to note, as certainly Krechakova going to be in the mix to be a seed at this year's Roland Garros. But those were your results in Istanbul. It's going to be a fun day of quarterfinal matches tomorrow. I mean, maybe the match I will be watching most closely uh, in Istanbul going to be the matchup between the two youngsters. Anaconia, healthy, thankfully for all of us tennis fans, playing really good tennis. She's going to take on big-hitting 18-year-old Marta Kostyuk. That's your first quarterfinal of the day. Get the action rocking and rolling from there, going to be Kirstea versus Farrow, Mertens versus Sinyakova. As I mentioned, that's a fun one. Mertens 3-0 and in her career against Sinyakova. All of their matches have been on hard courts thus far. And then number three seed, Veronica Kudermatova, going to be taking on Anna Bogdan uh, in your nightcap in Istanbul. And, you know, you look across the board, Mertens, Farrow, Kudermatova, Kostyuk, Konya, they all promise to factor into the French Open conversation. Obviously, the players still alive in Stuttgart going to factor into their conversation. Another exceptional week of tennis unfolding on the WTA Tour. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today.
Let's switch gears now and talk about the ATP action that unfolded on Thursday. We'll start in Barcelona where top seed Rafael Nadal pushed to three sets once again. Now, he was able to earn the victory 6-love, 2-6-6-2 over Kei Nishikori. Actually thought his level looked better and better as this match progressed, but... You know, look, it's a tough conversation to have with Rafa. How much value do you put into a result like this? We all know, come Roland Garros, it's going to take a Herculean-type effort to knock him out on clay in three out of five sets. There's a reason only two people have done it in ATP Tour history. But, I mean, credit to Kei Shikori in this match, who came out with an aggressive mindset, who got rocked. In that first set, I should say, came out of that first set with a renewed aggressive mindset, and he came out in that second set and was on top of the baseline. He was taking everything early. He was going down the line early in rallies as well, just looking to play aggressive whenever the opportunity played uh, presented itself. And I think that was the most notable thing is that you know there are times in two thousand, we'll say six to two thousand honestly, 20, where you could play aggressive tennis against Rafael Nadal and Clay, and it didn't matter because he was still going to find a way to beat you. I mean, Nishikori hit him off the court in that second set, and that's a noticeable thing because, you know, we saw Rublev do him to, do that to him last week. Certainly, we've seen Tsitsipas hit everyone off of the court. We know, if healthy, what Dominic team's able to do to you on a clay court. That's the noticeable thing is that you're going to have to play your best tennis. You're going to have to play super aggressive. You're going to have to play to win if you're going to have any chance at beating Rafa on three out of five sets. But if you're able to do that, as Kei Nishikori was for a set, there are sets to be had. There are opportunities to attack because at least right now, yeah, the Nadal backhand's sitting a little bit in the court, and he's not getting the pace on his serve, the pace on that first forehand that he's used to, that we're accustomed to seeing here early in this clay court season. But the flip side, again, is anyone going to be betting against him come the French Open? I'm certainly not going to be. I've been burned by that decision too many times, unless something monumental happens between now and then. The common refrain we saw on tennis Twitter uh, was, and Ugh, do I want to do this? Do I want to go into the things that piss me off about... Well, it's not that it pisses me off about tennis Twitter. Let me just say this. You don't always have to present your point as if you're the first person to have ever thought of something ever before. Like, the amount of times people would be like, well, actually, in 2016, he lost five times in the clay court season, and then he... Or, well, maybe not 2016, because I think that's the year he lost to Djokovic, but was it 2015 that he lost five times in the run-up to the French Open, and then he looked just fine come the French Open. We know. And just because you now know that, trust me, we've all seen that tweet already. If you have typed that out in your phone, you can save that bad boy in the for next year if he struggles because we're all aware of that fact and that's the thing it's like you take it all with a grain of salt because yeah you can win two sets off of Rafa and earn a victory from him here but at Roland Garros you got to win that third set off of him and only two people have ever done it and you look for Rafa today you know if you're looking for the nuggets of things to build off of he was uh you know made 60% of his first serves won 65% of those points 52% of his second serve points saved 11 of the 13 break points he faced uh you know 148 percent 
of his return points and 54% of the points in total for the match. And again, won six love and six two sets. Did wear Nishikori down in two hours and 20 minutes of play, but you got to give credit to Nishikori. And how great is it to see him back at this level? The aggression he played with, his contact point, his ball striking ability, simply sensational. Uh, especially in that second set. But Rafa Rafa him over the course of two and a half hours, and ultimately now he advances to the quarterfinals where he's going to match up with Cam Nori. And you got to give shouts to Cam Nori. I believe it's his first 500-level, uh, career 500 uh, quarterfinal, particularly first 500-level quarterfinal on clay courts. He, you know, was the beneficiary of a, a hobbled, David Goffin, who loses the first set, six love, goes up 5-3 in the second set, only to retire. And, you know, again, that's not to take anything away from Cam Nori. You can only play the opponent that's across the net from you. Uh, that's certainly going to be a bold test for Nori, who got to face Nadal at the Australian Open, so has at least seen that ball face the pace, the heaviness, but... You know, that's on a hard court. Clay Court Nadal, completely different beast, but credit to Nori for advancing to the quarterfinals. In terms of the other match I want to talk about, because I know I know I talked about him earlier in the week, Felix Ogier Aliasim. 6-2-6-3 win over fellow young Canadian and close friend Denis Shapovalov in this match. Oh, man, did FAA look good. I mean, made 67% of his first serves, won 78% of his first serve points, was 35 of 48 overall, so won 73% of his service points on the match. Also won 50% of his return points. And it needs to be said, Shapovalov only made 49% of his first serves. Could not buy a first serve in that first set. I think he made like only 39% of his serves for the set, but... You got to credit FAA, who took advantage of that fact, who was inside the baseline and finding, you know, forehands on as many returns as possible and ran out to early break leads, uh, an early break lead, three love lead in that first set, which is what you need to do when you're playing a close friend arrival and there are additional nerves heading into the match. And I have to say, kind of love the matchup for FAA, that heavy topspin that Shapovalov hits into FAA's backhand corner. I think that helps FAA, who can leave his backhand wing short, but, you know, he just had to shorten up his backswing. He could just absorb the pace, the topspin of Shapovalov's ball, and then just, you know, drive through that backhand wing and just use Shapovalov's spin and just worry for him about getting depth on the shot because he didn't have to keep it down and I mean, he was so good at finding forehands. And again, Shapovalov struggled in this match. That wasn't the best performance from Dennis, but FAA just kept attacking. He was always on his front foot, always finding forehands, comfortably moving forward to the net and just, you know, flashing that athleticism. Shapovalov was struggling with his first volley in this match. It felt like FAA had a ton of two passing shot looks and always managed to get that second pass by Shapovalov. I mean, FAA played... It's just sound tennis, high percentage tennis. Uh, that forehand continues to explode. He hit a couple of inside-in forehands, which, to those of you unfamiliar with the vernacular, inside-in forehand, you're positioned as a righty on the ad side of the court. You're hitting an inside forehand uh, down the line, so you're on the ad side of the court hitting forehands inside because it's the inside of the court. The outside would be towards the alley, the inside towards the majority. Inside-in, meaning you're going down the line with the shot, not cross-court. His He hit a couple of inside in forehands that were just laughably good and just, you know, took advantage of the open space, kept pounding his first serve into the Shapovalov backhand, earning easy first strike opportunities. 
Great performance from FAA, who's now into the quarterfinals here in Barcelona. You look for Felix, excuse me, 22-16 and 16 in his last 52 weeks. But, you know, a couple of wins over Shapovalov, the win over Musetti earlier this week as well, a win over Bautista Agut, uh, a win over Lorenzo Sinega. I'm not going to go over all of his wins, but you look for him now, 18-16 uh, and 16 in his tour-level matches on clay. That includes a run to the final in Rio back in 2019. It includes a run to the final in Lyon back in 2019. Last year, you know, took three straight losses to Bublik, Nishioka, and Garen. Uh, excuse me, Bublik and Nishioka last year, and then the loss to Garen to kick off his clay court season this year. But, I mean, he's looked comfortable. He's looked assertive. He's looked healthy. He's looked confident in his two matches here this week. And, you know, it, it's two one-handed backhands, and his power tennis, his plus-one game, his serve uh, is always going to benefit with that fact. But he's got Tsitsipas again tomorrow, and that's a rivalry they played so many times in the juniors. And I think FAA won the first five, but now Tsitsipas has won the last three against him, and they played a three-cent match in Acapulco not that long ago. And just, you know, from a matchup perspective— FAA's got the weapons to at least not allow Tsitsipas to constantly dictate to hit the big forehand uh, or hit the big serve into the backhand, then hit the big forehand as his first shot. And he's going to have to play decisive tennis because Tsitsipas continues to rock and roll. Tsitsipas straight set win, 7-5-6-3 over Alex Diemenauer. And I actually thought Diemenauer played uh, a really good match, just tried to extend as many rallies as possible. And when Diemenauer could make first serves, he could control the rhythm of the match and get Tsitsipas moving around the court and just was good on serve in general. But Tsitsipas won 76% of his first serve points and was only broken once in the match and just, again, put so much pressure on you, but so does FAA. So that is, we talked about it yesterday, first strike being the name of the game. That is going to be a first strike match. But this was a great performance from FAA back into the quarterfinals. You look for this result. Uh, with this result for him now, again, just stabilizes his ranking, number 20 in the world. Should he win tomorrow, he'll be up to number 18 in the world. That would be one off of his career high. Should he win this event, he would get up to number 14 in the world. Actually, leapfrog compatriot Denis Shapovalov and reach a new career high. But uh, just keep an eye on FAA tomorrow. I'm not saying upset alert. I am saying, and I wrote about this for our friends at OutKick. I wrote about it. You can read it on our website, crackrackets.com. I think that match goes three sets. It did in Acapulco. I don't see any reason why it can't tomorrow. In Barcelona, in terms of your other results on the day, I know it went three sets. It was, you know, other than Nadal, the only three-set match on the day. But we have a worn-down Andre Rublev on our hands, and it makes sense. Andre Rublev, over his last, uh, since the tour resumed in August, 62 matches played. The next uh, highest, Stefano Tsitsipas, 52 matches. And by the way, who are the? here's the list of players who have played more than 40 matches since the tour's resumed. Rublev, who's 50 and 12. That's insane. Tsitsipas has played 52, he's 38 and 14. Medvedev, 46, 37 and 9. Zverev and Sinner, 44. Zverev's 32 and 12. Sinner's 31 and 13. Schwartzman's 26 and 16. Then you get into the Bublik Sinego, 20 and 19, 22 and 17 range. Bautista Agut's 25 and 14. 
Then you have Djokovic, 33-6, and six, but Davidovic Fokina, 25-13, and 13, Vucevic, 26-12, and 12, FAA, 20-16, and 16, Hercats, 22-14. and 14. That The reason I read that list, the next gen is here. That's why I kept reading. I mean, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, Sinner, Bublik, Sonego. Oh, Sonego doesn't count. Davidovich, Fokina, FAA, Hercats, Hachinov. They're here, folks. They're here. And they're the ones playing the most matches, and they're the ones winning the most matches. Anyways, Rublev, to get back to the point, 62 matches over seven months. It's a load of matches like I it really is I don't know what else to say and you can understand why today playing Ramos Vinola is he got an early break and he was just kind of like nice like hopefully I'm going to be able to coast from here and he wasn't because Ramos Vinola makes every match physical gets you extent gonna hit that big forehand sneakily inside in when you expect him to go inside out and go big down the line when you least expect it and you know open up angles move the ball well around the court do a little bit of everything and you look at tennis abstracts elo rating for the men uh you know overall Albert Ramos Vinoles not loved by elo ratings he's in total let's see Albert Ramos Vinoles in total number 74 but he's a top 30 top tw- uh, 25 player by tennis abstracts elo rating on clay he absolutely made Rublev work today but it's a credit to Rublev and you know, how many times have we seen the Djokovic, Nadal, Federer's, Murray's of the world in their prime win the matches when they're a little bit physically ailing? That's what Rublev was able to do. He's into the quarterfinals now. I think Sinner's going to give him the business tomorrow. Sinner, a 7-6-6-2 win over Roberto Bautista. Goot just wore Bautista Goot down, hit through him, and, you know, broke through the wall over the course of the two sets. But, you know, you know what a kiss of death with the dead legs would be? To play someone who hits the ball as big as Yannick Sinner. To play someone who's going to see, you know, for Andre Rublev. Rublev wants to hit that big forehand. Sinner's going to be like, oh, we're hitting big forehands today? I'm totally down and try to hit that ball back with even more pace right at Rublev as well. Uh, You can understand, again, does me saying Sinner's going to win tomorrow mean I think less of Rublev heading into the French Open? No, not at all. It means I think he needs a week off, maybe even two weeks off, until the French Open begins. Uh, Again, it's a credit to him that he was able to grind this match out. That's certainly a good sign for him moving forward, but you know, it's going to be a tough test because Sinner's playing some really good ball. He was a French Open quarterfinalist last year as well and just hits a ball that explodes through the court. He looks comfortable moving on the dirt as well. A lot of parallels between the two. Uh, you might even like Sinner's backhand a little bit better because of how dynamic it is on clay courts. But that should be a really fun matchup. And again, Sinner today was just outstanding against Bautista Good in a 6-2 and two win. Your other two victors on the day, two people who are going to match up, Diego Schwartzman, 4-2 and two over Quarantine Mute, and then Pablo Carreno Busta, 3-4 and four against Zapata Morales. Those guys have both been obviously outstanding on clay courts throughout their career, but you look, tennis abstracts, ELO rating, Schwartzman right now, number six behind Nadal, Team Tsitsipas, Djokovic, and Zverev. You look for Pablo Carreno Busta. Uh, he is number 13 right now, so that promises to be a fun matchup. And again, I've referred to them loosely, but it's FAA Tsitsipas tomorrow. Tsitsipas, who leads 3-2 overall in their pro matches and has won the last three. This is, though, their first pro matchup on clay. Sinner, uh, Rublev is the second time they've played, but Ru- uh, Sinner had to retire early in the match earlier this year, so Rublev's 1-0, sort of. 
against Sinner. Uh, would love to see those two fully fresh playing each other because, again, obviously the battle of the Gingers there. We've also got Schwartzman PCB. They're 1-1 one one in their career head-to-heads. Both of those matches came on hard courts. And then Nadal versus Nori. Nadal 1-0 thus far against Cam. As I mentioned, he beat him in straight sets in the third round, excuse me, of this year's 2021 Australian Open. That is a recap of the action in Barcelona. Quickly on the action in Belgrade because, again, we did have three three-set matches there on the day. Aslan Karatsev, I think it's only his second career ATP-level win on clay. He knocks off a tricky Alias Badene. And just keep an eye on Badene. He's going to beat someone else. He already beat Korda, and I don't know how big of a win that is considering Korda's still pretty young. But obviously we know what the talent Korda has, how well he's played of late, and just moves really well on the clay, is comfortable, will hit some slices that make you uncomfortable, will bait you into testing his on-the-run ability and then just hit the ball by you. He had Karatsev uh, working in this match, but Karatsev, just that front-foot tennis he plays, it translates well. He's so smooth on the court. He just makes tennis look how it's supposed to look. 6-3-4-6-7-6 win for him over Badene Delbanis, who we all know. He's another guy who you look at uh, tennis abstracts elo rating del bonus currently uh via elo rating the number 92 player overall he's inside the top 25 of their clay court elo ratings he earns the three set win over the deuce deuce on Lajevich, six three two six six four just you know the lefty into the deuce one-handed backhand one out in the end huge win for lucky loser taro daniel three six six two six three over john millman the number seven seed to advance to the quarterfinals, and then Gianluca Magier, 7-5-6-2 win over young Australian Alexi Popperin for Magier. He's been, you know, sneaky good now uh, here over these past, really, I would say, since the start of 2020. You may remember he beat team last year uh, on his way to a final. Where was that event? I want to say that was in Rio, right? Yeah, he beat team. He beat Rude uh, before losing to Garen in the Rio final, you look for him now in 2021. Quarterfinal in Delray Beach, beat Harrison, beat Query early in the season. Struggled after losing there. He had a seven-match losing streak between the end of Delray Beach and through the South American hard uh, clay court swing, but now went down to the challenger level to refine his rhythm. It was a wise decision as he won the challenger title in Marbella. Got a three-set win over Munar in the final there. You know, lost to Rude in the Marbella round of 16, lost to Matrizak first round, Monte Carlo qualifying, but now here in Belgrade, comes through qualifying, wins over Bonzi, Daniel, number 19, Laszlo Jure, and now Alexi Popperin to reach the quarterfinals and face uh, Aslan Karatsev. You look for Jean-Luc Magier now in his career. How many quarterfinals has he made at the ATP level? I am happy to tell you as soon as I stop clicking all the buttons. Let's see. He's 12-15 and 15 in his career uh, at this level. How many quarterfinals has he made? This is only his third. The quarterfinals in Rio and Delray Beach being the first two. 26 years old. Doesn't turn 27 until December. Inside the top 100 right now at number 98. This result in the live rankings gets him all the way up to number 91 
which is where he belongs, given his results over these past 15 months. Fantastic opportunity for him tomorrow as we look at the matchups in Belgrade. We've got four fun quarterfinals. It's going to be, as I mentioned, Measure versus Karatsev. Karatsev coming off of that 7-6 in the third will be interesting to see how much tank he has left, how much tank he has left, how much gas he has left in the tank. Hey, great shot. Also going to be fun, Delbonis Daniel, Krajinovic Berrettini, and then, of course, Novak Djokovic taking on fellow Serb Miomir Kesmenovic, the number eight seed Kesmenovic, a former number world uh, world junior number one, uh, and has talked openly about how he has tried to model his game style oh, after Novak Djokovic. So, should be a fun day of quarterfinal action. But that's going to do it for our recap of everything happening on the ATP and WTA Tour levels. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast an hour ago, uh, I'm so excited to have uh, Cracked Rackets contributor Damien Cuss joining us for his first mini-break episode tomorrow. Be on the lookout for that podcast to drop Saturday, recapping all of Friday's quarterfinal play, not just at the ATP and WTA levels, but on the Challenger Tour as well. If you want to hear more about the Challenger Tour action, two Challenger-themed Great Shot podcast episode this week, one from Damien and his crew on Monday, another from Dave. Gertler and I on Thursday. If you want to hear more about the college tennis world, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halioris, join me as they always do this past Wednesday to talk about the finale of the 2021 regular season. Crazy to think we're already on postseason tournaments. That's where we are. By the way, you want to hear a bonus Friday Great Shot podcast episode I recorded, a match of the day pod, usually for our Patreon fans only. On this occasion, we're going to make it for everyone, just a little sneak peek of the sort of content you can get by becoming a Patreon subscriber, those match of the day segments focusing on the thing I'm going to be watching most closely on Friday, despite all of the pro action, the match of the day for me, my favorite non-Michigan-Ohio State rivalry right now in college tennis. Florida taking on Tennessee for the SEC Men's Postseason Tournament Championship. Look, that's a huge litmus test, right? And I talk about it on the pod, but how good are both of these teams? Tennessee's beaten almost everyone they're supposed to beat. You know, their only loss uh, was to UNC at the National Indoors. They lost once to Arkansas in the regular season play, but everyone gets one, right? And outside of that, their only loss was at Florida. You can always understand that loss. And, you know, for Florida... They've run the gauntlet. They haven't lost a match, I believe, since Texas on that national indoor kickoff weekend. Uh, And they have been that good, survive 4-3 over Texas A&M to advance to this championship match. Again, going to be a fantastic day of tennis from start to finish because most of these ATP WTA level events are in Europe this week. You know, if you're working in the morning, you can't watch the pro action. You can watch Challenger Tennis in the afternoon as well as this fantastic Florida-Tennessee SEC Championship match. And again, in that, there's a lot of tennis going on. Challenger level, college tennis, pro level. Two uh, to catch up on everything, if you've missed any of the action, you can turn to our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, 
for our wonderful super producers, Flickner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.